I'm talking to Nicole Regeer, and Nicole is the Director of Development and Violence Prevention Programs at Jillian's Place. Hi, Nicole. Thanks for talking to me. Oh, hi, Janice. Uh, thank you so much for having me on. We had some uh, pretty shocking statistic come out this week that nine women and children were killed by, murdered by domestic violence in the past month. And I was looking at that number, and I think a lot of people, we don't often hear statistics like that. We know that domestic violence is, is, a, is a big issue, but we don't, I don't think, hear stark numbers like that. How, did that, how does that number, the number nine, compare to what you would normally see in a month of women and children dying as a result of domestic violence? Mm -hmm. So, you know, this is the statistic that we've had up until quite recently uh, was one to two women um, every six days. Um, but we've had nine women uh, who have been murdered by their intimate partners since the start of COVID-19 isolation. Um, so that number has jumped about 33% and, and now it's about a woman every four, four and a half days. Um, it's a stark startling statistic. I don't think that many people realize um, how often domestic violence ends in lethality. Um, but, um, you know, there's, there's a high risk for women, uh, especially, you know, when they're attempting to leave a violent situation, the risk um, is increased at that point. And we're just in this uh, pressure cooker right now. Um, you know, women aren't able to leave before it gets to that point. Um, so, you know, the, the, the type of violence and the um, increase in the type of violence is what we're seeing and, and, and it's ending, you know, with the loss of, of these women's lives. Do you think that we're actually seeing all of, you know, are you able to gather the statistics together uh, and, you know, know that it's the number nine? Or are you, are we really looking at a number that we don't know uh, exactly and could be much larger than nine? Mm -hmm. You know, domestic statistics around domestic violence um, are always quite low. You know, the numbers that we, we see through Statistics Canada or any other means of gathering, um, we know are lower than what is actually happening because only about 36% of domestic violence cases are ever reported. Um, so we, we know that those numbers are much higher. And when it comes to homicide, oftentimes, you know, these types of murders are misidentified in the media. Um, victims are never named. Uh, and so, you know, these these nine women are just the ones that we know about. So, yeah, the number could and, and likely is higher. The mass shooting in Nova Scotia is somewhat being attached to the domestic violence that um, the man had been perpetrating on his partner for many, many years. Mm -hmm. And I, I was just reading this week again that there was a woman who used to live in, um, in Point of Pick who moved, but lived next door to them and said that the domestic violence had been going on for years in, in with this woman and, uh, mm -hmm. and that, you know, uh, we know he had beaten her up before he then got into his you know, fake RCMP cruiser and went on the rampage that he went on. Yeah, yeah, that's where it started. So, you know, if we add all of the people who were killed in that mass shooting in, in Portapique, um, you know, then we're looking at, at a much higher number. And 
that's you know what's terrifying is that in is it about that is the system really failed the port of it community because you know this man had been identified as being dangerous when it's to the point where neighbors are terrified um you know imagine what you know his partner is going through and so you know he had been reported and and at the time they said there just wasn't enough to you know to lay charges and you know that can happen sometimes the system fails um and it's because of you know a lack of training on um you know the risks associated with domestic violence and and how these situations can end and yeah you know we know that that day it started with him trying to kill his partner and she got away and hid in the woods overnight and then he proceeded to kill you know 22 other people um with a plan to murder his ex-wife as well and so you know sometimes uh law enforcement and the systems they're uh, not educated and they're not prepared um to handle these situations appropriately and really identify that risk but what we do know is is violence against women organizations like ours are and so you know we can help to navigate those systems um, and to advocate where um, you know where people feel like the system's failing them and 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 you know our main concern is keeping women safe um, and we can really help to do that now the situation with the um thankfully um the woman got away and uh but the situation in terms of doing something with the the violence that this man was perpetrating on his partner it requires her by law to lay a complaint and then follow up with that complaint is that the case no that's not true so several years ago um the the law changed where now it is up to law enforcement to lay charges in cases of domestic violence um which is a great thing that happened then because it takes the onus off of the victim because oftentimes you know they may call the police and when the police arrive they're too afraid um of the of the repercussions of what laying charges could look like so now um it is entirely up to law enforcement to lay charges in the cases of domestic violence and and that just didn't happen there even though we read in that article um that you know there doesn't there didn't have to be um physical evidence of um of assault uh there were witnesses and yet still you know they said that there wasn't sufficient sufficient uh evidence to lay charges so um I, <laughs> it's frustrating yeah yeah so let's just talk about that for a second um do police have the training that they need to go in and identify what would be considered a i mean all domestic violence is in, there's no acceptable level of domestic violence mm -hmm. but do they have training to be able to go in and identify whatever the standard has been set by the by the criminal system to say yes this we need to lay charges here mm -hmm. or do they you know not understand what it is they need to be doing yeah I, you know i think that you know that's a case-by-case -case basis i can't really generalize um and you know we know that here in the niagara region we're very lucky we have a dedicated domestic violence unit 
who are very knowledgeable about, you know, the intricacies um, and the complex nature of domestic violence and, and the power and control elements of that. Um, but I would say, you know, there is always more training that can happen um, across the justice system, um, you know, with police, with our court system, um, you know, there's always more training that can be provided. The um, mental health services in Niagara now, specifically out of uh, CMHA, CMHA Niagara, has the COAST program where some staff will ride along with police under certain situations. Do you have the same kind of outreach with law enforcement at Jillian's Place? Uh, we work very closely with law enforcement at Jillian's Place. We have um, a family law lawyer on staff. Uh, we are the only shelter in Ontario that does. Um, and so because she's a lawyer, she's really able to uh, work closely with law enforcement and the justice system and really advocate for our clients and advocate for reforms. Um, and uh, so, you know, we do have that kind of uh, relationship, you know, in terms of looking at ride alongs with police officers, you know, it, with the officers that we've spoken to in the past, they will tell you that a domestic violence call is one of the most dangerous and volatile calls that they will ever walk into. Um, so it would be a very dangerous situation um, for uh, you know, a ride along scenario. Now, when we talked, um, I, I sort of connected with you probably a couple of months ago now because it was at the beginning mm -hmm. of um, self-isolation and just in general, the fact that, you know, people were at home and so on. And I, and I asked you at the time if you were seeing an increase in calls from women to Jillian's place. And you said at the very beginning, you were not seeing an increase. And you thought that that might have to do with the fact that the abusive spouse was at home all the time. Therefore, mm -hmm. the woman did not have the freedom to call. So it's not like there wasn't as much domestic abuse. It's that, that they didn't have the freedom to, to call Jillian's yeah. place. You know, that's exactly it. And that's still kind of the trend that we're seeing. We've seen a little bit of an uptick in the amount of text support calls we're getting, because that's something that can happen um, with a little more secrecy. Um, but, you know, we're in this, women are in this pressure cooker, right? There's just a rising number of sick people, growing unemployment, financial stress, um, you know, a scarcity of community resources. Um, so it's really setting the stage for this exacerbated domestic violence crisis. And, you know, abusers have heightened stress, financial pressures, um, you know, perhaps increased consumption of drug and drugs and alcohol because they're not having to go to work. And, um, you know, some abusers could be purchasing or hoarding guns as an emergency measure. And so it's just this typical ticking time bomb, this perfect storm um, that, that's exacerbating domestic violence. And women aren't able to reach out. They're not able to call. They're not able to leave their home. Um, you know, these are things that would typically happen when their abuser was at work or out of the home. And when they're always together, um, you know, there's, there's not that opportunity to reach out for help. And so, you know, I think that the, the, the the best advice that I can give for our community is to check in on your loved ones. 
Um, you know, this isolation is, has always been a tactic for abusers to isolate their victims and, and to get them away from family and friends. And, you know, um, so women and children, they're not, they're not going to school, they're not going to work, um, they're not going to medical appointments, where, where oftentimes these, this is where the domestic violence is identified and where um, interventions can happen. So, you know, reach out to your loved ones that you're worried about, see how they're doing. That's, you know, the very best advice that I can give right now. And of course, if you're a neighbor um, and you and you hear something that uh, you you believe is a, a volatile situation like that, you can call the police and the police will respond. Absolutely. You know, even if, you know, sometimes I think people think, oh, should I call? Should I not call? Um, you know, maybe it's not what I think it is. Maybe I shouldn't get involved. Um, you know, as we're seeing, we've seen, you know, nine women, uh, you know, in the span of a month have lost their lives and we just do not want to get it to that point. So even if you think you, you hear something, if you think you see something, the police are happy to respond. It's their job and they want to do it. They want to protect their community. There would be the worry, though, I would think, on the part of the woman that they, you know, the police would arrive, that the, somehow the spouse would smooth things over, and then they would find themselves in an even worse situation. Because my understanding is that often what happens is the, the post-abuse, the abuse that happens after there's any kind of interaction with the police or any type of intervention can be worse than it was before. Um, you know, that, that's certainly a possibility and, and, you know, that's a real barrier for women who are contemplating reaching out for help. Um, they're scared of uh, the ramifications of that and how their partner will react. Um, but, you know, we can provide safe shelter. So, you know, if the police come, if the woman is fearful of what might happen, you know, after the police leave, if charges haven't been laid, um, you know, they can come to Jillian's place. Police will refer to Jillian's place. They will drive women right to us. Um, you know, there is always, there's, there's always an option and that's what we're there for. We're there to help navigate that frightening situation. Um, and the other thing that we can do, you know, if women aren't ready to make a move right now, um, you know, is we can provide a safety plan. And so ways in which, you know, women and their children can stay safe or, or keep themselves safer while continuing to live with their abuser. If a woman makes the decision that she wants to reach out to Jillian's place, and I, and I think you have said that the number has started to, to increase again, have you gone above what you would expect um, a normal rate of calls to be now that we're, you know, we're beyond two months, I think we're week nine or something mm -hmm. of, of COVID mm -hmm. and, and of that kind of isolation? Mm -hmm. uh, no, I think, you know, we were, uh, I think, expecting an influx of calls. Um, and we haven't seen that. And again, um, you know, we know it's not because the violence is going away. In fact, we know it's getting worse. Um, but I just, you know, go back to them, not just, just not being able to find that physical space to make that call. And, and also, you know, wondering about, and, you know, we've, we've done our best to let our community know that we're still open for business. We are still there 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Um, 
but with all of the closures um, that can get muddied and women may not realize that we're still there. They may not think that they can still come into shelter when of course they can. Um, and uh, you know, we're, we're still there. That was some of the experience with uh, mental health services. And I know access line was having a similar situation at the beginning where people were calling to find out if, you know, if there was anything open because of, mm-hmm. of COVID, they weren't actually calling for, for help or referrals or, or anything like that. They were actually just asking the question, are, are services still available? Because there was this thought out there that, that everybody had, had shut down. And I know that you're personally finding it very difficult to be at home and not at Jillian's place during, during this time. Mm-hmm. And that, so you're having your own sort of isolation uh, from friends and family, but you're also feeling the effects of being isolated from working with with the women who need your help. Of course. Yeah, certainly, you know, we all are. And, you know, I'm very, I find my, I feel very lucky to live in a home where I feel safe and where this is, you know, very much my safe space. And um, it wasn't always that way for me. You know, I came from an abusive relationship. And so it's really had me Um, thinking a lot about that right now um, and thinking, oh my goodness, what, what would it have felt like to me, um, you know, all those years ago to be stuck in isolation with my abuser, not able to go to work, not able to have the refuge of going to visit, you know, my parents and just to live in that space of fear 24 hours a day, seven days a week, um, and I can't, it's unimaginable to me. And, and um, you know, I just, I implore people to really try and try and put yourself in those shoes and imagine what it might feel like to be living in fear. You're in your home. That's supposed to be your safe space. That's supposed to be the, the place where you feel safest and um, to feel like you're just, you know, you're trapped um, in this, this space of fear and unknown and isolation and um, so it's difficult, you know, and I, I can't, I can't get that out of my mind right now. And I just, you know, I, I want women to know that we are still here. I want them to know that I want everybody to tell every person they know, um, you know, to spread the word, you know, we are here to help women, we are here to keep them safe. We can provide a safe roof over their heads. We can provide any kind of service. We can meet them where they are. If they're not ready to make a move, if they just want someone to talk to right now, if they're looking for ways to, to stay safe while, may, while you know, staying in their homes, we can do that too. Um, you know, we just want to provide the resources that they need in whatever way they need it. And of course, um, uh, many women are uh, in a situation where their children are being physically abused. It's not, it's not them, but they're having to live in a situation now where they're potentially, I guess, watching their children um, suffer from physical abuse from a, a spouse mm-hmm. more because the child is also at home. And so that same level of frustration could be taken out on, on the children if that is what, uh, what the spouse tends to do, which is focus the violence and anger on the, on the children. Yeah. And I mean, even if, even if the, the violence isn't being directed toward the children, um, it's still the, the long-term um, mental health effects of children being exposed to domestic violence, uh, it's the same as if they were experiencing the violence themselves. 
um, you know, it's putting them at increased risk for, you know, future mental health problems, um, you know, post-traumatic stress, issues with learning development and school and um, depression, risky behaviors. Um, you know, there is a huge effect on children and, um, you know, oftentimes uh, women can feel and they can do their best to try and shield their children from that, but kids are intuitive. They know what's happening. And so, um, you know, it's a dangerous situation for the children as well, whether or not, whether or not they are the focus of the violence. Tell me about what happens, um, what the process is once uh, a woman reaches out to Jillian's place. Where, where does it go from that initial phone call? Um, so our counselors will um, uh, do an assessment, a risk assessment with the woman to, um, you know, assess their level of, of safety. Um, every woman who reaches out to Jillian's Place or is a resident of, or client of Jillian's Place will receive, um, you know, a personalized safety plan. Um, so that's, and, and, and that's constantly updating. Um, we constantly update safety plans with women based on their changing circumstances. Um, you know, if women need to come to shelter, we'll find a way to get them there. Um, if they don't have their own transportation, um, you know, we'll make sure that they have a safe way to get to shelter. Um, right now, things are a little bit different, you know, in the way that we're, we're doing things. Um, you know, we provide all of our services on an outreach basis, so not just to women who are residing in shelter. Um, so a lot of our appointments are happening virtually now. Um, with our lawyer, with our transitional housing support, um, outreach counseling, uh, child and youth counseling appointments are happening uh, virtually where possible as well. Um, and of course, we're practicing physical distancing in the shelter and, and sanitary measures. Um, we are not full right now, which um, provides, uh, makes it a little easier for the social distancing. Um, but, uh, you know, all of the services, we're still providing them, you know, if it's, if it's not safe for a virtual appointment, then, you know, we will bring women in for an appointment and just make sure that we're physically distancing and doing that in a safe way. Um, but it's really all about, you know, we individualize, there's not a mold, right? Um, every woman's situation is different and our staff are trained to, you know, identify um, and help women set their set goals and, um, and to, to reach those goals based on their individual circumstances. So every case could look different. It could just be that one phone call. Um, it could be 10 phone calls on our crisis line and then admit to shelter. Could be 10 calls on our crisis line and then, you know, an outreach counseling appointment or an appointment with our transitional housing and support worker uh, to look at, um, you know, options for transitioning into living independently. Nicole, thank you so much. Uh, what you do at Jillian's Place is beyond um, important in Niagara, not, I mean, in the world, but in, in Niagara. And thank you so much and everyone at Jillian's Place for being there for the women who need you. Oh, thank you so much.